Hello, and thanks for joining us on the Christian Celebration Center podcast. Our prayer is that this audio will encourage you in Christ and challenge you from God's Word. Enjoy the message. Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to begin by reading verse number 4. text says this, verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Lord, bless our time in your word. Uh, May what you put on my heart come through. And Lord, if there's anything else that I uh, haven't come across, Lord, uh, just speak through me. Speak through me that we might be a church that is on track with where you are taking us this year. Open up our hearts to receive from you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. We're in a three-week series right in the middle of it, and it's called It's Not About Me. It's not about me. Last week we focused in on the honor that's due Yahweh, the one true God. The one who always has been, who is, and who always will be. Right now, hundred million angels, massive beings are Laying prostrate around the throne, worshiping the God of all gods. The eternal one, Yahweh, the existing one. Last week we spent time honoring him. And it was a reminder to us that it's not all about me. It's not all about me. The world doesn't revolve around me. It doesn't revolve around you. And I know that to be true. I mean, deep down, I know that to be true. You know that to be true, that it's not about you. It's not about me. But I still struggle with that sometimes. I do. I still struggle with that me first mentality. I was thinking of an example even this past week. I believe it was Monday evening. We were coming back from my daughter Kayla's basketball game. And we were rolling into town a little bit later than I wanted to because the college national championship game was on. My son Eric and I were going to watch it together, just getting ready to go back to college. It was, it was going to be a special time. And so we roll into town and, and, and we, we came off the, the, the highway here at Eastman. And I remembered something. I remembered that Arby's had a four for ten deal going on. I saw it on the sign a few weeks before or whatever. It was four classic roast beefs for ten dollars. And I, I've gone to Eastman. I was even in the wrong lane and I was like, four classics. <laughs> Went across the lane. I'm on the way. As I'm turning and going, the kids are in the back seat. So it's my son Eric, my daughter Kayla. Both of them are like, man, Culver sounds so good. We get some, get some ice cream. And, and they're like, oh, that, was, that sounds so good. And, and so we go down Eastman, and, and there's Arby's. And yes, on the sign it still said four for ten. Classic roast beef for ten dollars. What a deal. And they're like, oh, Culver sounds so good. And I turned into Arby's. <laughs> I turned into Arby's. I go in the drive-thru to get the four for ten. I order it. After, right after I've ordered it, I had the audacity to look over to Lacey. There's four of us in the car, four for ten. We get the number. I had the audacity to say to Lacey, Lacey, can I have yours? I was hungry. Some of you are like, how selfish. Well, I struggle with that. I struggle with that, that me first mentality at times. And, and is it terrible for a parent to say, you know what, this time we're going to Arby's and we're getting the classics. It's not terrible. I'm not saying that, but it is a clue that there is an issue that I have that is a struggle with a me first mentality. Now, I would 
hope that I'm the only one in this place that struggles with that. I'm probably not. This is not a good time to point fingers at anybody else and be like, I'm glad they showed up today. Well, the good news is we're not the only people to struggle with a me first mentality. It appears that uh, the Christians, the Christ followers in the city of Philippi in the first century also struggled with it because Paul the Apostle wrote to them and he was challenging them to live with an it's not about me mentality. To change it, to switch it, to flip it so that it wasn't going to be about them. And it begins in chapter 2 verse 1 with this, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. And Paul challenges them there. Hey, uh, okay, be of the same mind. Have the same love. Be in full accord and one mind. Come together in unity. There were some issues in the Philippian church where people weren't getting along. Paul actually in chapter 4 names names. How would you like to have been one of them? A couple thou year later, we're still talking about them and we know their names. Paul named names. There were some issues that they were having in the Philippian church. They weren't all living with an it's not about me mentality. Paul writes to them and he, he's like, this is what you need to do. Be of the same love. Be in full accord. Be in unity. Care about each other. But I love how Paul begins this particular part of the letter. He begins with this. It's a reminder of what they have in Christ. Before he gets to what they need to do, he talks to them about what has already been done. You're in Christ. He reminds them. Think about the encouragement that you have because you're in Christ. You are secure in Christ. You have an eternity with God. You've been saved. You've been rescued. You've been delivered. And Paul says, hey, you've been given encouragement in Christ. You are in as a follower of Christ because you've placed your faith in him. And he reminds them, look, you're loved. You're comforted because you're loved. And they're like, yeah, that, that's true. Because God was loving them unconditionally. And they were having participation in the Spirit. Meaning they, they, they had received the infilling of the Holy Spirit. They were operating the peace of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was at work in their church and in their lives and in their families. And Paul's like, look, let's start there. Before we start with anything you need to do, let's start with what is already done. And he was challenging them in how to live with an it's not about me mentality. And it begins here to live with a done mindset. To live with a done mindset. Before, do, live with what's been done. Operate with the mindset of what Christ has already accomplished in you. You see, God never asks you to do anything before he provides you with everything. Look it up. Search the scriptures. He never asked anyone to do anything until he provided everything that they needed in order to do it. We are told that his divine power has given us everything that we need for godliness. Salvation, purchased. Grace, given. All the love that we need, deposited. Empowerment of the spirit, been done, poured out. You see, God provides what we need to do what he calls us to do. And Paul begins right here. He says, live with a done mentality, a done mindset. Like before you're going to, I'm going to try to love that person. I'm going to try to, to, to not make it about me. Paul's like, well, before you start trying to do that in your own effort, understand what's already been given to you. 
And Paul begins here, you, you have received encouragement in Christ. You're in. You're loved by God. You are operating in the spirit. In other words, everything that you need to do what God calls you to do, Paul says, God's already given it to you. So before we get into things that seem like they're going to be kind of tough to pull off, understand God has already made it possible. Isn't that amazing about our God? That he thought of everything. And so uh, the, the, the phrase like, it's too hard, or a phrase like, I can't do this as a follower of Christ, they just don't fit. Are there things that are challenging? Yes. But in God's realm, in the kingdom of God, those statements just don't coincide or align with the word of God. Because in Christ, we lack nothing. Live with a done mindset. In order to live with a, it's not about me, mentality. I believe Paul is also teaching that we needed to live and need to live with an inequality mindset. An inequality mindset. Now you might think, well, that doesn't sound fair, Pastor Keith. I don't think I like the sound of that one. Inequality, like what, what are you talking about? But what we have to realize is that the kingdom of God is just set up differently than how we normally think. If we listen to the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we hear things like this. Die to yourself. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow him. We hear things like, uh, like uh, what Jesus said whenever he washed the disciples' feet. Jesus lowers himself, washes the dirty feet of the imperfect disciples, and then says this, go and do likewise. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Love your enemies. If anyone wants to become great, let him first become a servant. Think about the good Samaritan who had sacrificed so much to help the needy traveler who had been beaten and left for dead. And after Jesus describes all that this man did for someone who uh, probably thought of him as an enemy, Jesus says, go and do likewise. It's living with an inequality mindset that we see in the kingdom of God and that Jesus calls us to where others, if you would say it like this, others are more important than self. Others need to come before self. It's not something that we like to hear, but we see it in the word. Verse 3, Paul goes on talking about this inequality mindset. It says, do nothing, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. It's speaking of, of a self-promotion, of a pride. These words speak of a motivation to push yourself above others, to prop yourself above others. Like, I, I'm more important. What I'm about is more important. Paul uses this word because in the Roman culture at that time, competition was huge. Huge, 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 huge. It was, a, it was not just a, a characteristic or an attitude of competitiveness that was present. It was actually honored in that society. And I'm not just talking about playing games. I'm not just talking about playing games. Lacey and I played Monopoly Deal yesterday. She is so competitive. I don't even want to talk about her right now. My goodness. Give me a break. It's just a game. Oh, and right now she's saying, and who won? 
this, this competitive spirit right here, I, I don't even know. <laughs> but it wasn't just in games that competition was honored. It was honored in life. That, that, that's, that's how they roll. Where they were competing for position, jockeying for a power and prestige and honor in the society. And the reality is that even us, 2,000 years later, can still struggle with that where we want to push ourselves above others. We want to push ourselves, our interests, our needs, our preferences in front of others. This can happen in the workplace. My future is more important than yours. This can happen in marriage. My needs are more important than yours. This can happen in conversations. I invite you this week to listen to yourself as you're having conversations. Listen to yourself. Or maybe ask an honest person in your life the question, do I dominate conversations? Hey, be honest with me. Do I, do I kind of like just talk over? Do I kind of just keep talking and spouting my knowledge, knowledge and talk about me? You see, asking questions in a conversation and listening says a lot about the, the type of person that you are, whether or not you have an it's not about me mentality or not. I've heard it said there are two types of people. First type of person walks into a room thinking, I'm here. The other type of person walks into the room thinking, you are here. What type of person do you want to be? The message paraphrase of this verse says this, don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Paul was challenging them, challenging us 2,000 years later to live with an inequality mindset. What I mean is honoring others above self. Looking the needs of others before self. He went on to say, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I believe Mother Teresa was a prime example of this verse. For those of you that are younger, you might not know who Mother Teresa is. She was born in 1910 in Macedonia. Really felt the Lord was leading her to give her life for the, 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 the needs of this world. And in 1928, she moved to Calcutta, India, where she lived for the rest of her life. She devoted her life to serving the poorest of the poor. She devoted her life to living among lepers and those who were starving, and those who were at the point of death. She gave her life for that. One author, his name is Shane Claiborne, wrote about his time when he spent several months with Mother Teresa in Calcutta, and he, and he said the thing that always jumped out to him, and he kept noticing, was her deformed feet. And it always bothered him. He wondered if she had onset of leprosy. He didn't, he just, they looked horrible. There's deformed feet. And so one day one of the sisters came to him and others with him and said, have you noticed mother's feet? And they're like, uh, yes, we have noticed her feet. They're so deformed. Why is that? And the sister went on to explain that at times people would donate used, worn out shoes 
to her ministry. And Mother Teresa didn't want anyone else in that ministry, or any child, any teenager, any, any, any adults, any staff. She didn't want anyone getting the worst pair. And so when that pile of shoes would come and they'd plop it down in that donation, these were tattered shoes, these weren't nice shoes, tattered anyway, donated by the people in India. She would dig through the pile and pick out the worst pair. And then she would wear that. And day after day, year after year, decade after decade of her doing that, shoes that didn't fit, shoes that were worn out, being on her feet all day caring for the dying, her feet developed major issues and became deformed. Now, if my memory serves me correctly, when she came back in 1994 to speak at the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C., as I, as I recall hearing, she came back and spoke without wearing shoes. Because at that point in her life, she could not even put on a pair of shoes because her feet were so deformed. You see, biblical humility is having a deep sense of one's littleness. In fact, Mother Teresa, when she uh, would write in her journals and write out prayers to God, she would sign it, your little one. Having a deep sense of one's littleness. Instead of promoting self and pro promoting the well-being of others, it's living with an inequality mindset. Paul went on, and I believe really this was the next part of this for us to have an it's not about me mentality, is then to break it down to have a mindset like this, and that's live with a focused mindset. A focused mindset. Verse 4, which was our opening text says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul isn't saying that you and I are not important. You are very important. I mean, God created you in his image. That's pretty important. Right? God put you on this earth for such a time as this. Jesus came and died for you. So to say we're not important, that, 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 that doesn't jive with scripture. You have significance. But Paul is saying, don't stop there. Care for yourself, yes, but don't stop there. In fact, in 2022, there were two specific message series that I brought to you that were more along the lines of, of how we care for ourselves. Very important. How we care for ourselves. One was called Under the Surface. Another one was called Take a Deep Breath. I encourage you, uh, if, if you haven't heard those, to, to get those on the app, get those online. Just to be encouraged in what the Word says about taking care of yourself. But Paul is saying, don't stop there. Don't stop with looking out at your own interests or looking after just your own needs. Look also to the interests of others. This word look here is the Greek word, skapeo. It means to direct one's attention to, to focus one's attention on. It's actually said a different way, skopeo. And it's from that Greek word, that we get our word scope, like what you would put on a gun. To direct your attention to. To zero in, to focus in on something. To better see what the target is, what the, the motivation or the goal is. Now one of the first times I ever went deer hunting in my entire life, uh, I, I went just with an old gun that, that I had come across and it didn't have a scope on it. And I didn't have a lot of experience with shooting, but I was in the, the deer blind and, and, you know, whatever I was doing, eating beef jerky, who knows. And all of a sudden, I look up, 
And there's like five or six deers, deer in this field just standing over there. I'm like, whoa, where did they come from? Like, I had no idea. They're putting my phone down. There's five or six deer in this field. And they're, they're not like, I'm not like rubbing shoulders with them. They're not right there. They're pretty far away, but they're in this field. I'm like, you know, getting what I need here. And, and, put, and I don't have a scope on this thing. And so I'm like, oh, I can do this. They did a little house in the prairie. Can't be that hard. And so pointing at, the, at, these, at these deer, and I, I just like start firing. I probably, I probably had five or six shots. It was boom, boom. What? What in the world? Make it a little lower, higher? Like what? What? Boom, five or six shots. And the deer just looked at me and laughed. <laughs> I got my stuff and I just left. I'm like, forget this. Well, the next year, maybe it was a year or two later, I went with my, my son Ethan. He was probably, I don't know, 14, 15 years old at the time. And we had a gun with a scope on it. And he puts that out the window. And there was the deer one morning. And boom, he gets it. The scope changed the game for me. And the scope definitely changed the game for the deer. Okay? Slightly different experience second time around for the deer. The scope causes you to zoom in. To zoom in. To zoom in. And this word is used multiple times in the New Testament. It's very interesting that we as believers are actually to scope in on several different things. Very important things in our lives. Uh, first of all, we see in Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 where we're to, to scope in, to zero in on our own life. So that we don't fall into temptation. We're supposed to be very vigilant about that. We're supposed to scope in, zero in on our own life, on our own steps so we don't fall into temptation. In, in chapter 3 of Philippians, it, it's called uh, scoping in on a pattern, a godly example. Scoping out people in, in your life, around your life that you are going to look up to. That they're further ahead in the faith and you're like, man, they are a man of God, a woman of God. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scope them out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to zero in on their life. I'm going to see how they live, how they handle things because I want to be like them. We're also told in 2 Corinthians 4, the same word, that we're to scope in on eternity. Scoping on eternal things. Why? So that we can have a proper perspective. So that we can manage our lives in a way that is eternally minded. But in this instance, in Philippians chapter 2, this word is used very specifically to scope in, to zero in on others' needs. To zero in on what other people are walking through. To see that that is very, 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 very important. And if you break it down again, the root word of this word scopeo, it is the picture of a runner heading toward the finish line. Zeroed in on the finish line. If a sprinter is in a race, he is not looking side to side, is he? Zeroed in, all he cares about is that finish line, getting there as fast as he can. Zeroed in, that's the word that is used. That's the root word of this. It's goal, it's purpose. I'm going after it. Jesus shared about his scopeo several times. In one instance, he says this that the Son of Man himself came not to be served, but to serve. That was his scopeo. That was his purpose. That was his goal. I, I came not to be served, but to serve. And then he said, He came. To give his life as a ransom for many. That was his purpose. That was what he was zeroed in on. His purpose was deeply connected to others. And I want you to know today 
that your purpose in life is deeply connected to others. Your purpose in life is deeply connected to people. God has put you on this earth around people. Look around. You're around people. In this amazing church, you're around people. This church body, you're around people. Think about your family. God's put you in a family with people. God has placed you in communities with people. God has put you on an earth with a lot of people. Your God-given purposes are deeply connected to people. And as you are seeking to discover uh, your purposes in life of why God placed you here, and we can talk so much about that, but specifically as it relates to people, there, there are some, some things that are very important to help you discover more of your God-given purposes for being on planet Earth. And that is your, your passion, your pain, and your proficiency. Your passion, your pain, and your proficiency. And so I encourage you to, to ask yourselves these questions, even over these next couple of days. How could your passion help others? How could the things that you find your, yourself just being passionate about, you just love them. You, you love it. You love to do it. You love to be a part of it. Of it. You love to talk about it. Just your passion. Maybe your passion is cooking. Maybe your passion is competition and sports. Maybe it's science. Maybe it's music. Maybe your, your passion is woodworking or landscaping. Maybe your passion is apologetics or deeper Bible study. You just have a passion for that. Maybe your passion is just being around other people. I mean, some people are just social. They just want to be around other people. Maybe that's your, your passion. I'll tell you, well, what a way to impact people. I can't tell you how many people over the last couple of years have told me that they're lonely. How can your passion help others? Another great question to ask is how can your pain help others? What you've been through is different from everybody else on planet Earth. Okay? How can your pain, how can what you've been through, what you've walked through, the challenges and the struggles that you've faced, how can that help others? Because God doesn't waste anything. There's purpose even in the pain. How can that help others? How can what you're walking through right now help others? How can what breaks your heart help others? Maybe it's not something that you've gone through, but it's something that when you hear about it, you're just like, mm, that shouldn't be like that. that that's wrong. We've, someone's got to do something about that. Maybe that's a sign that you need to do something about that. How can your pain help others? And then, and then finally, how can your proficiency help others? Everyone in this place has talents, experience. Many have training in certain areas. All of us have different personalities that I would put into that realm of proficiency. It's what you're able to do. Maybe it's some things that even come easily to you. How can your proficiency help others? Because the reality is this. Not everyone else has the same passions. Not everyone else has the same pain. Not everyone else has the same proficiency. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. How can those things help others? It's living with a focused mindset. Because you have so much to give to others. Every single one of you have so much to give to others. You might have walked in thinking that you don't, but you do. I'm telling you, you have so much to give to others. And when we live with that done mindset, God's given me everything that I need for life of godliness. Live with that inequality mindset. Doesn't mean I'm not important, but, but I'm going uh, to look with that focused mindset. Look to the needs of others first. 
when we live like that, it adds value to other people and impacts other people. Many of us, I'm sure, have set goals for the new year. Maybe you've already broke them. I don't know. Resolutions. Sometimes it's based on, like, you know, maybe losing weight or gaining weight or it's exercising. Or maybe it's you've been exercising too much and you're like, this is the year. This is the year. I'm going to scale her back. No, I'm joking. Maybe nobody has that one. But we have New Year's resolutions, New Year's goals. Often, most often, our New Year's resolutions and goals um, are, are put into place to help ourselves, right? To enrich our lives. And I don't, I mean, that's, if exercise is going to be a part of your life to help yourself and your health, go for it. That's, that's a good thing, right? But often they are built they are wired to enrich our own lives to help us. And, and several weeks ago, back in December, I just thought, you know what, I, I do resolutions and goals and stuff like that basically each year. But I thought, you know, what if I switched it around just in my mind? And so I just began to journal things like this. What goal, if I made it and met it, would add value to my wife? Often I've thought, what goal is going to help me? Do what God wants me to do. What goal is going to help me be healthier or whatever? But what goal, if I made it and met it, would add value to my wife? And then I wrote down, what goal, if I made it and met it, would add value to my daughter? I wrote down, what goal, if I made it or met it, made it and met it, would add value to the church? What's something that I, if I added that to my life as a goal would help others? Maybe I get nothing out of it, but it would help others. The reality is that every single one of us have so much to give. And it's living with that focused mindset, looking not to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Our purposes in life are bigger than us. And your God-given purposes are deeply connected to other people. Deeply connected to other people. You have so much to give, and the truth is this, others need you. Others need you. Our vision, if you've been part of this church, uh, you know this. Uh, last number of years, our vision is just honor, experience, influence. We want to honor the Lord. Last week we talked about that, Yahweh. We're going to honor him. 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 Experience, experience your next step. This is, this is really when we, we talk about growing in the faith, taking your next step forward, moving in the faith. Where we're not just staying here or we're like gliding backwards. No, we want to push forward in the faith. We want to grow. We want to learn. We want to impact. Experience your next step. And often when we talk about this, we talk about uh, opportunities that can help us do that, like serving on a ministry team, or we talk about being in a life group, or we talk about being a part of other discipleship opportunities. And many times when we talk about these things, we say it something like this, hey, I encourage you to get involved in a life group or get on a serve team because um, it's going to help you so much. You're going you're gonna to grow in your relationship with the Lord. You're going to be challenged you're going to have others around you that are going to impact you. It's going to be so good for you if you serve on a team. It's going to be so good for you if you are in a life group or are a part of midweek experience. It's going, to, it's going to help you move forward in the faith. Often we talk about it in that way, and that's all true. But what if in 2023 we flip it around? What if we just flip it around and instead 
encourage each other to serve because others need you. Because others need you. Others need what you have to offer. Earlier this week, emailed out to the, the pastors and a few others to let me know how many people serve, how many CCC people volunteer on the teams that they lead, that they're a part of. Get this, the number after it's all added up, it's volunteers in this church, 623. 623, I was like, are you serious? This church is amazing. It's not necessarily like 623 different people because some of you are like, I serve in two ministries or three or whatever it might be. But 623, and this is not just talking about camps or retreats or mission trips. This is consistently serving in a ministry role as a part of this church. That is amazing. 623 difference makers. Those who are serving on the board, on the deacon team, those who are on prayer teams, those serving in Wednesday evening ministries, leading life groups, the Sunday morning teams, worship and tech and safety and welcome team, and then the, the student ministry and the kids ministry, and young adult ministry, and just go on and on and on and on. Special needs ministry. So many people, 623. Volunteers, you. Making a difference. You bringing to the table what you have. Your passion, your pain, your proficiency in order to impact other people. And I commend you for it. You're difference makers. And if you aren't on a CCC team currently, you're not volunteering on a CCC team as we have jumped into 2023. I, I encourage you, get on one. Get on one. Why? Because others need you. Well, won't I also receive encouragement and inspiration and challenge and friendships? Yeah, you will. But, but let's not talk about that today. Others need you. Others need what you have. And I encourage you to get on a CCC team. You're like, well, I might be too young, too old. Well, just to let you know, currently our youngest volunteer in the church is seven years old. How cool is that? Our oldest volunteer, probably older than, than this, but the oldest one, the oldest uh, name that was given to me, 92 years old. So don't say too young, too old. You might have been attending the church for a while and you're like, hey, this is, this is my church. I'm, I'm coming on Sunday consistently. That's awesome, but that's not all there is. Because there's so much that you have to offer that you could then impact. Maybe it's a certain generation. It's in the nursery. It's kids, students, uh, older. Maybe it's just uh, serving on a team that impacts the whole church in unique ways. Even today, I mean, I was just blown away. Uh, even just today, another day, another Sunday, we've seen so many people serving at the doors, people coming early for worship. Uh, I mean, thinking of uh, looking out my, my office window, it's like 7.45 in the morning, and I see Andy showing up with his two boys to come to serve tech for this morning's services so we could have slides going. Come on, this church is awesome. Think of like a, a, a Josh and Christy. They've, they've been uh, serving the fourth and fifth graders of our church for Longer than since I've been here. I'll say that. And that's a long time. A long time. There are people that come in during the week just to, just to get um, the, the activities ready for the kids, for the kids' ministries. I mean, so many people serving. 623. That is just incredible. Hey, if you're not yet on a CCC serve team, I encourage you. Take the opportunity today and say, you know what? I'm in. 
I'm going I'm to do this. I'm at, least, I'm at least going to get some more information. And you can do that going on the, on the website or on the app. But an uh, easy way is just in front of you, there's a next steps card. It even has a QR code if you prefer to use that. You can just fill that out if you want to get some more information. Or maybe there's a ministry you're already passionate about. You can mark that. You will be contacted. We want to help you discover the purposes that God has for you. Another way to impact others is to either start or join a life group. We believe that life groups are one of the best ways for us to have healthy discipleship where we're growing in, in life and in friendships and in Christ. We're coming together in order to, to impact each other. And it's a way for us to grow in the word. But I, I, I want to encourage you to flip it around and be like this. Consider starting or joining a life group because others need you. They need you. There's a spot that's missing. There's a group that doesn't exist. Others need you. I know we have smaller groups already for kids and for students, and we have around 35, I believe, active adult groups. And then there are larger groups that meet up, men and women, women with mom to mom, which is an awesome ministry, women's nights of worship, awesome men's events. Hey, get connected, not just for what you will receive, although you will receive. Get connected for what you can give to other people. Others need you. They do. Other men need you. Other women, they need you. And you can get it connected in the same way. The Next Steps card that's in front of us, also the app. Click on Life Groups, get some more information on that. And I just encourage you to once again consider what it is that you have to offer. Even if you don't know what it is, you do have something to offer. Some of you might have even already received an invite from someone. Hey, would you consider being a part of our Life Group? Maybe it would be time to pray about circling back to that person. Be like, hey, you still have a spot? I'd like to be in it. And then finally, another way to really offer what you have and to impact others is with the midweek experience. So we have uh, kids ministry and student ministry opportunities to serve in, in those areas and when it's a right fit. And then we, we think about what's happening right now in midweek and Wednesday nights. We're right in the middle of 40 days of prayer. Right in the middle of 40 days of prayer. And I know in the, the prayer group that I was privileged to be a part of this past Wednesday, it, it was awesome. Luke prayed for Johnny. Johnny prayed for Bob. Bob prayed for Yolima. Barb prayed for Kristen and Laura. And Lacey prayed for Luke and Shanna. And I'm sitting back being like, okay, this is church right here. We're doing this. We're caring for each other. We're praying for each other. And you might say, well, I need that. I want, I want to come. I want, I want Barb to pray for me. <laughs> like, I, I, want a, I want a piece of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. But think about this. Others need you to pray for them. Others need you to prophetically speak over their life. Others need you to lean in when they're talking and be truly concerned and say, I got you. I'm going to pray. I'm stepping in in prayer. Not just right now, but this week. Others need you. It's living with an it's not about me mentality. Saying, you know what, I, I'm going to live with that mindset. It's done. Christ already gave me everything that I need. I'm going to live with this inequality mindset there. I'm going to consider others more significant than myself. And a focused mindset where I'm looking not only to my own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's a beautiful way to live. That is a powerful way to live. That's an impactful way to live. And I know that so many in this church are living in that way. And I want to applaud you and say, keep it on, keep it up, keep going in 2023. Live like that. It's not about me. It's not about me. Paul then concludes this passage 
this part of this teaching that he's given to them about having it. It's not about me, me mentality with the most beautiful and glorious example. It's Jesus. Can you lean into this with me? Paul said, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Wow. Being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And Paul says, that's your example. That's our example as the church. That's the way to live with an it's not about me mentality. Is follow the example of our King Jesus. He let go of self. He emptied himself. He set aside certain privileges. And he became obedient to the will of God. Would you just imagine with me how that mentality would affect your marriage in the next couple days. It's a different way of living. Imagine with me what it would look like if we're training our kids to live like that and they have an example in us to follow. Imagine how much stronger our church can be as a body of Christ, a local body of believers, if we all lived like this. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. And God, to do that, we need you. I thank you that you've already given us salvation if we've placed our faith in you and received that. I thank you that you've given us grace, which is total empowerment to do what you've called us to do. Thank you for the Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit, we're so thankful for you. We can participate in your goodness and in your presence. Oh, we could be a temple for you to live in us. And I thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us with this church. I'm not talking about the building, although we're thankful for the people. This church that we can do community with, that we can do life with, that we can learn from and encourage, and that we can give to, that we can impact as we give of ourselves, as we look not only to our own interests, but also the interests of others. And Lord, as we go through this week, I pray that you would anoint us with the desire and the hunger to live with an it's not about me mentality. Because that way of living changes our world. May your will be done in our lives and may you receive glory for each and everything that you do through us this week. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. You know, we believe God has something amazing in store for you today.